Wonderful. Great. Um, just to extend my welcome, if you're a guest today, my name's Hugh, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the elders here, and a very warm welcome to you. And if you're visiting family and friends, it's great to have you with us. Um, just a few things before I dive into the preach. Just to say, if you've not had a chance to catch up with last week's preach, and you are in any way connected with Redeemer, I would really, really want you to. I think what Steph preached on last week is absolutely vital to us having a healthy church culture. It was about forgiveness and confrontation. So some of you are like, I'm not going to watch it. That probably means you really do need to to watch it. Um, it, it's up on our website, so please, please do get it. It was a great equipping um, time. If you wouldn't even call yourself a Christian, I would encourage you to have a look at it. It will do you a lot of good in your relationships. Um, others of you will know that last week we said goodbye to Becca and Jordan Woodley. They've been leading our, our worship team for quite a while now, and they have gone to San Francisco for six months to support another church plant there. So that's them last night getting on the, getting on the airplane. So I probably landing about now, um, going there. So please keep praying for them. Um, you can support them as well. They're doing it as volunteers for six months, leaving their jobs here and going out there. Uh, if you want more information about that, just get in touch with the uh, church office and you'll be able to find more details. But do keep praying for them, encourage them. It's a great privilege as a church to be able to bless beyond us. We will miss them, um, but they will do a lot of good there. And we trust God that you never lose by giving. Amen. Jesus says, you sow generously, you will reap generously. Um, so we, that's what we are trusting. Today we are starting a new series um, all about work. Can you say work? And um, a significant resource in the series is this book by Tim Keller called Every Good Endeavor. Um, and we will be doing over a few weeks just touching on some of the things in this book Work is a significant part of all of our lives. We will sleep for about a third of our lives. Some of you are in a season of life where that feels it's way more than that. Others of you are like, I have no idea how you sleep for a third of your life. Um, we will pursue leisure activities and everything in between for about a third of our lives. And we will work for about a third of our lives. And so we're going to be, for the next few weeks, preaching about work. What we want to do is to give you a biblical perspective on work, but I don't want to just do that. What we want is for you to have a transformed attitude that affects your approach to work every day of your lives. Now, for most of us, when we hear the word work, we're thinking about paid employment. Okay, I won't ask for a, a show of hands. We think my job that I get paid for, but clearly work is all-encompassing, and many of you do a lot of work and jobs that are not paid, whether that's caring for elderly relatives. Increasingly, that's going to be something in our world that's going to take a lot of our time and energy. Some of you are looking after and watching the home. Others of you are raising children. Others of you are volunteering the community. And others have your 95 or these days, who knows what shift patterns are, job that is your work. And some amongst us, because of physical limitations or health challenges, will be like, I'm not quite sure what work is. But it will still be a significant feature of your life just because it's not X hours a day or has a label. We are all those who work and we are affected by and involved in work. So when I set you up a little bit for this, and it may not have happened, but when you found out something about the person next to you, who asked, what do you do? 
Anyone ask that? Okay. I mean, maybe you didn't have time, so I could have left. But isn't that an instinctive question? We ask people, what's your name and what do you do? Some of us love that question. Some of us are not quite sure how to answer it. Some of us think, what I do is really valid, but how do I say, oh, I, I do this or why? We instinctively ask people, what do you do? And some of you love work. I mean, some of you, the Monday morning alarm goes and you're like, woohoo, it's work day. Some of you can't wait for the buzz of the alarm to get off and you get this endorphin rush and you get in the shower and you go to your work with a sense of purpose. Well done. For many of us, it can be quite different. Now, I'm also aware some people in the room would love to be working and you can't. Um, but as I said, work is much broader than just this job. For many of us, though, our attitude to Monday morning or whenever your work time is, is summed up by some of these quotes. Mark Twain said, work is a necessary evil to be avoided. Oscar Wilde said, work is a refuge of people who have nothing better to do. William Faulkner said, one of the saddest things is that the only thing that a man can do for eight hours a day, day after day, is work. He can't eat eight hours a day, nor drink for eight hours a day, nor make love for eight hours. All you can do for eight hours is work, which is the reason why man makes himself and everybody else so miserable <laughs> and unhappy. Uh, glad there wasn't any amens to that. Um, it's very easy to think of work as an evil or just something that needs to be endured rather than something to be enjoyed. It's very easy for us to have a perspective of work that just feels like I'm constantly frustrated rather than thinking my work is wonderfully fruitful. For many of us, probably, we see work as a means to an end so that we can get resource to enjoy leisure activities. So what I'm trusting is as I preach this, the various things will begin to convict us as we go. Many of us see work as a means to an end so that we can get resource to do the things we really want to do. Well, over the next few weeks, hopefully, we begin to wrestle with this question of, does it have to be like that? Do I have to spend a third of my life doing something I absolutely hate, can't see the point of other than to get me some dosh so I can go on a holiday? or whatever it might be. So hopefully we're going to unpack for you a biblical vision of work, which is slightly different. You can smile. Well, hey, but it's not without its challenges. But before we go any further, in a few moments, don't put it up yet, I'm going to ask some questions of you, okay? And I'm going to ask you to answer them on a sliding scale, and which is most true of you. But before we get there, this first question is, have you given thought to how being a Christian and having Jesus as your Lord if you're, affects your work? Because as Christians, we, we, we tend to have this great ability to separate things in our lives, don't we? Here's my spiritual life, here's my home life, and here's my work life. And sometimes we're not sure why we give so much attention to what the Bible says about this, but not about this. You see, we can have a biblically formed perspective on some things and not others. So we can think biblically and try to work out how the Lord would have us deal with our money, but when it comes to birth control, we cannot give it a second thought. So in my experience with 
marriage counseling, people often don't even give any thought to birth control. Should we do it? What kind of birth control is okay and what isn't okay? We have this dichotomy. There's just areas of our lives we don't bring the truth of Jesus and his wisdom to it. We can often spend a lot of time thinking what the Bible says about marriage, but we don't equip ourselves thinking what the Bible says about raising children. We just kind of do it. We can often think what the Bible says about life after death, but have we ever wrestled with the question of whether it's okay to be cremated or should we be buried? Is there a biblical influence on that one? These are questions we just don't seem to ask because for whatever reason, we think this is spiritual, but this is not. The Bible and Jesus has something to say about everything. Now, the answer often with many of these things is not yes and no. <laughs> often you need wisdom and an approach to it. And sometimes there's a biblical waiting to think this would be best, but actually it's okay if you do these. But some of those questions, someone in the room, think, oh, I've just never even thought about that. And there's other pockets of our lives whether it's what we watch, whether it's what we listen to, whether it's who we hang out with, all of these things, have we asked ourselves, what does Jesus have to say about it? Or do we relegate that to church Bible reading and maybe my money, because they all talk about that, or whatever, or whatever it is. So hopefully this series will just shine a bit of light. It's actually, what is Jesus and following Jesus? If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, what it means is he's your Lord, he's your master, and you ask him, what do you say and what do you want? <laughs> that's, the, that's the foundation of it. And then we try and work it out as best as we can with our duplicit hearts. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to ask you these questions. To, um, I'm not going to make any comment on them, but for you to uh, ask God to speak into your heart. So Lord Jesus, we come before you and we say thank you that you care about our whole lives. Seen, unseen the good, the bad, the highs, the lows, the moments, the months, everything that we do, you're attentive to, you have wisdom for us and help for us. And following your way is the most fruitful. So we ask you right now to come and speak to us and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. So question number one. So which answer is more true of your thinking, not your thinking? Um, there's a typo on the screen, so next screen. Um, so which answer is more true of your thinking? I live for the weekends or your rest days, or I look forward to my work days. It's not as clear as a black and white right and wrong, okay? Um, I think the perfect answer on this one is both. Um, but what's true of you? I live for the weekends, or I look forward to my work days. Just be attentive to your answers. Question number two. I think mainly of the need to rest from work, or I think of the need to rest for work as much as from work. So when I'm thinking about my rest, I'm going to be tired at the end of the week, I need to rest. Or do you think, I'm going to be tired and I'm starting work, so I need to be in a good place for work. Next question, work is a means of personal advancement, or work is a contribution to the good of all. Which is more true of us? Work is a means to other things for me. Or work actually is a contribution to the good of all. Next question. I do not tend to think of how my work connects with God's purpose. I relegate that to church life. That's God's purpose. I do not tend to think about how, what I'm going to be doing tomorrow or whenever you're next at work. 
tends to connect with God's purpose, or I do tend to think how my work connects with God's purpose. Final question. Work is something I do to live, or work is something I live to do? So, popping all the questions up, just take a moment. If you were to summarize them and put yourselves on a spectrum, somewhere in there, it's probably a mix for all of us. Some of the questions you like, yes, and both. Helpful questions, I trust. You can get this resource on the website afterwards. So over these next few weeks, we're going to be looking at what the Bible says about work, what God's purpose is for work in our lives and for the world, and what difference does the gospel make, the fact that Jesus has broken in and transformed us and resurrected us as we've been singing, what difference does that make to our work, to our attitudes, our ethics, and our efforts? And we all need this, no matter where you are on the spectrum, because For some of you, work really sucks. I won't ask for a show of hands. Work is really, really tough, and you feel work is more a crucible where God is pounding and grinding and refining your character rather than a place where you're actively and effectively serving Him. During my university days, I uh, got a job at a friend's farm, chicken farming. Thank you, Jesus. I don't have as much debt as I might have. It was brutal work. Now, I, I, I went to a pretty heavy boarding school, so I was used to early mornings and uh, all sorts of other things. But we would get up early. The people I would work with were the most, their mouths were filled with vitriol and filth. And I had to be in a chicken shed with them all day. And their favorite activity was to wrestle each other on the hay in the chicken shed, in their breaks. And they were big boys. And I'm thinking, Jesus, what is going on here? That was a character refining season for my life. I'm sure the Lord did some other stuff in me. And I trust I was a witness of some sort. But hey, I I had far less debt than I might have. Hallelujah. But I'm not sure I saw it correctly at the time. For others of you, you simply see being a Christian and living out your faith at work as relegated to small symbolic gestures of self-righteous abstinence from certain behaviors. So you think, me being a Christian at work means I don't enter into gossip and I don't cheat and I don't lie. And that's the end of it. Others of us, you feel like you failed at your work and you're totally dejected or you failed multiple times, and you think, what's that got to do with me? Christian, have I failed as a, as a Christian? What's God's story got to do with my failures? Or maybe you've been super successful, but you have felt the creep of the love of the world and pride coming in in you, and it dominates your life now. And if it was taken away from you tomorrow, you wouldn't just be sad and dejected, you'd be utterly devastated. And you're thinking, how can I be successful and fruitful, nothing wrong with that, and still be healthy? Or you're struggling quite simply to see what your contribution is because you just can't get what others would call a job for whatever reason. We all need this series. I think you would agree. And if you're younger and you're studying, studying is work. I commend you guys being very diligent. Well, most of you, I think, you are coming to the end of their studies and, and, and others 
Um, and, and I trust this will help you enter into what would be considered mainstream working life with a really healthy attitude. Um, and so we're going to start today with just the broad question of what's God's design for work. And we're going to look at three main things. Number one, God carries out work. God's a worker. Number two, God cares for the work he's done. And we are often the means of that. And then number three, he commissions us to do God's work for him. God carries out work. God cares for his work. What does that mean about how we approach our week? And number three, God commissions us to work. So Genesis chapter one, if you have your Bibles, how does God introduce himself as a worker? God introduces himself as a worker, an artist. A lot of original creation accounts talk about war and, and, and cosmic conflict, and then the earth was born out of that, not our faith. Our faith introduces God as a creator, Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and, and empty. It was unfinished. Darkness was over the surface of the earth and the Spirit of God was hovering there. Line one of how God introduces himself is that God works. The very first thing we see about him creates light and dark and sea and sky and, and land and vegetation and moon and stars and sun. He creates a canvas, he forms it, and then he fills it. Land and creatures and vegetation and then people. God makes, he names, and he designates purpose Something that will come through repeatedly. This is more like an artist painting a picture than a soldier digging a trench. Brutal, hard work. Just, but it's an artist. Genesis chapter 2 then, after describing all of this creation. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day God finished the work he had done. So on the seventh day he rested from all his so if you answered that you rest from your work, it's partly okay. <laughs> then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God works. He carries out work. It's how he introduces himself. And we find that God takes delight in his work. He looks at it and he says, tickety-boo. He doesn't actually say that if you're going to the Bible. He says it's very good. Um, God's work of creation is like an artist making a masterpiece. Tim Keller says this in the book. In the beginning, God worked, not as a necessary evil that came into the world after the fall, and that's really important. Work came before there was anything wrong in the world. Nor was it something human beings were created to do that was beneath God. God worked for the sheer joy of it, Work could not have a more exalted inauguration. Amen. God did it. He enjoyed it. It was good. I wonder if God, I mean, he clearly is in some ways, still working now. I mean, these telescopes are discovering all sorts of cosmoses, universes. I don't even know what the words are these days. We need Carl Barker to preach again on a psalm where he talks about God creating. We're just finding, I wonder if God is still painting things out there and still creating because it's who he is. He's a creator. And God, God makes it all according to his kind. It's a beautiful thing. Trees and insects that all work. It's not just functional. I'll create so there's something. He weaves it all together. One of the great, I think, <laughs> apologetics for the creation of a universe. You know, all of this by accident. 
the way it works together so seamlessly. That's, that's just as much as a leap of faith as Jesus rising from the dead, I would suggest. Psalm 8, verse 3 to 4, David says this. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, intricate, God's creator, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, and all of this wonder, what is man that you are mindful of him, human beings that you care for them? In the midst of all of that, don't forget this, you are the pinnacle of God's creative work. It's a beautiful truth. If you've ever failed <laughs> at anything, you need that to undergird you. God, God, God's mindful and he made us and not a failure on the pinnacle of God's creation. Those who normally don't get things wrong. But it's the work of his fingers, the beautiful artistry. That's a great, so the work of your great might. Well, of course it is. But the way, it's like his, his, his mercy and his power, the way he brings it about is tenderly with his fingers. So before anything else, God works. Can you say God works? He carries out work. But then he, he cares for it. He hasn't just said, let it be, and it was, and then he's just, let it be. No, God tends and cares for his work. I mean, he creates human beings, and we'll come to this under the commissioning, to care for his world, but we're also told through the Psalms that God waters the earth, he provides food for the animals in their time, and I'm sure he does it both sovereignly, but also the means of it is that he calls us to do that work as well. I mean, one of his greatest cares for his work is sending Jesus. In uh, John chapter 17, Jesus says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Jesus did work. Jesus saw obeying the Father as his work. God has formed and planted and provided. God cares for his creation. Very short point on this. This is what theologians would call providence. God caring and looking after everything, whether you know it or not. I tell you, as an aside, this is one of the greatest needs in our days, to know that God is utterly sovereign and He's providential. He guides and cares and watches over His people. You're not just a little flake that's tossed about by the winds of the nations and things. God has you in His hand. Even within that, things happen we don't understand why. It's a bedrock for your salvation. The Creator cares. He doesn't... He's not, ab he's, not, he's not kind of just distant and doesn't worry about it. He is involved. But coming then to this question of how, how does God care and continue to carry out his creation? Well, my third point, God commissions. Can you say commissions? Us to work with him and for him. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. Reminder, this is before anything goes wrong in the world. So it's God's perfect plan. Then God said, after making these beautiful things, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over fish in the sea. So I say, remember, this is before anything goes wrong. So when you hear words like rule over and subdue, which can sound to us like really negative, fighty words, it's clearly not that. Because harmony and perfection and creation at this point, they're clearly positive words. Okay? So rule over the fish in the sea and birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image, I hope you're getting this, <laughs> of God created them. Male and female, he created them. 
God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, not just because we want lots of you, that's true, so that you might fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Chapter 2, verse 15, next few verses. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Can you say work it? Work it. And take care of it. I apologize. That's not very good. Um, But it'll be memorable. You won't forget it. Um, We are created in His image, just as God created and cares on His behalf for Him with the purpose to continue and to work out creating and caring. So your work is the work of God to create and to care in the world. Now these words dominion or to subdue the world, they they speak about cultivating. I mean, isn't it amazing when you go, maybe your garden's like this, mine's just astroturf, maybe you go to some botanical gardens and it's beautifully cultivated and you think, how did they get that shade of colors along the walkway? And and no matter what season I come in, there's beauty and there's color there. A, A gardener, which ultimately is where things started, cultivates brings life, takes weeds out, allows things to be fallow for a while so that the ground recovers and brings color, knows the seasons. That is how our work is to be, is that of subduing and cultivating. And as a result of this, we see that work for us is a privilege. Can you say privilege? Now say it with a smile on your face. Privilege. Turn to the person next to you and say, work is a privilege. Yeah. Forgive the unbelief in the room, Lord. Um, it may not feel like it at times, but listen, in all of creation, only humans are given a job. It's our mark and identity as image bearers. Other things are set in motion to perpetuate, but humans are, by God, to work out our image bearing of God like Him in some manner, we are given Jobs. It's a fundamental part of who we are and what we're created to be, which is why when people get out of work or there is a culture and a system set up where it's easy to come out of work, people get dejected and depressed and feel a sense of unease and lack of contribution. Al Walter, in a book called Creation Regained, he says this. He says, The earth had been completely unformed and empty. God had formed it then and filled it, but not completely. People must now carry on the work of development. By being fruitful, they must fill it even more. By subduing it, they must form it even more. Mankind, as God's representative on the earth, carry on where God left off. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? God left stuff for you and I to carry on. So no matter how old you are, whether you think my working days are finished, no, no, you interact with people, you're still doing stuff, you're still caring for something, you're still working things out in and of yourself. We are forming and filling, continuing the work of God. It is a privilege to do. God's good plan included us working. It's part of who we are. Jesus himself, I've already referred to in one verse, but in John chapter 5, he says this, My father is working until now, 
and I am working. It's a beautiful thing. His father is still working, and Jesus is working. Now, I refer you back to the quote I read earlier about from William Faulkner. He said, one of the saddest things is that the only thing a man can do for eight hours a day is work. If you eat for eight hours a day, you're going to be in problems, okay? You probably can't make love for eight hours a day. And if you, what was the other thing he said? Drink for eight hours a day, there's going to be problems. One of the only things that we can give ourselves to eight hours a day or whatever it is, is work that is not necessarily detrimental to us. Now, obviously, it can be. I mean, that's, that's a sad perspective, I think. It makes us all miserable. It is a privilege to work. And there will be those in the room and we'll know of others around the world who will look you in the face and say, if I could have any job, I would take it. For a sense of both dignity, but also provision that comes with working it out. Work is a great privilege, but it is also a responsibility. Can you say responsibility? We are called to subdue the earth. God made it good, but undeveloped. God left creation, Tim Keller says, with untapped potential for cultivation that people were to unlock through their labor. Think about your labor as unlocking something. It's easier to see it with some jobs than others. Artists, artists unlock something. That, that they show us something that might be. They reveal something of how it could be. A musician, you know, they unlock this beautiful new sound. Maybe you're a language teacher and you think, how is teaching French contributing to God's plan in the earth? Did God not make every tribe, nation, and tongue? And if there's more chorus of beautiful languages, isn't that reflecting something about the glory of God? So when you're teaching someone who might never know Jesus how to speak French, you're adding to the chorus of God's creation of every nation, tribe, and tongue. No matter what it might be, we are told to subdue the earth before the fall, before it was broken and marred. So that word subdue is more to be taken as stewardship and trusteeship. Then we might, you know, subdue, what does it mean? It's like steward. We are caring on behalf of of, but it requires deliberate, proactive work and focus. God has created us to do this. It is a responsibility. So are you mindful of how your work not only creates a context for you to connect to others and speak about Jesus, but are you mindful of how your work is a privilege and responsibility under God in and of itself as cultivation in the world? No matter what it is you are doing. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells the parable about the talents. A master's got a kingdom. He's going away. He gives three workers talents to look after things while he's away. Talent being a monetary unit. He comes back. Two of them have used and developed what God had given them. And God says, well done. Good servants and rewards them. And there's one other person who has done no development. Has just kept, buried their talent. Worried about the master or too afraid or whatever it is. And the master rebukes them for not taking what they have and developing it and growing into it. See, learning and growing in our work is not just for people who are type A or type 1 or highly driven. We're all responsible under God to develop, whatever that might look like. To think of what are the arenas God has given me and how can I cultivate in them. We are to work at everything we do with all our heart as if working for the Lord. Not saying that's for them and this is not for me. Or I'm too limited, I'm not an academic, they are, well, you're probably not going to have that same kind of cultivation, but you are responsible for what God has given you to cultivate it into the kingdom of 
God. So obviously, if it's a privilege and responsibility given to us as a gift, it's a blessing. Say blessing. So then why is it so frustrating? I hear you cry. Now, some of you love your job. Hallelujah. Many of you, it's like, why does it hard? Why does it suck? Why is it so much resistance? Why the ideas that I have, why don't they just come to be? Why is work so hard? Why is my attitude, why is my heart so drawn to watching Netflix and traitors and rather than doing work? I'm loving traitors, by the way. Anyone else seen it? I commend it to you. That's okay to say in church, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, I think it's okay. Um, we will play the game in our lounge. Isn't it? Anyway, sorry, I've distracted you all. Come back. Why is it so, so hard? Why is discipling my children hard? Why is looking after elderly parents so difficult? Why is serving others so thankful, thankless? Why is my project failing? Why do I look back on my life with frustration and regret rather than just celebration? And others, you've celebrated hallelujah. Or well, something has gone wrong. So the picture I've painted so far is God's purpose before the world was marred by sin. But if you know your Bible, you know the story of the life of God and God's story, you'll know that God created Adam and Eve in a garden and they were to cultivate it from a garden and to a garden city is where it's going to culminate with all the technology, all the medicine, all the, the wisdom, all the creativity, all the whatever it is, it, it's going to culminate in this garden city, the original plan of God. But Genesis chapter 3, man said, we don't want your way, God. And they walked away from God and said, we want to do it our own way. They rebelled and they broke relationship with God. And when that relationship with God was marred, they opened the door and brokenness came into all of creation. And there is now a frustration in creation. There is, a, there is an aging, there is a, a dying that, that was not meant to be. There is a, a fabric that has been marred in all of this creation. The result of sin in the world means that now nothing works as it should. Even when we're doing really well, we think there could be so much more. Nothing works as it should. The corrosive and corrupted power of sin affects every area of our lives, our relationships with God, with each other, and with creation. Work exists now in a world sustained by God, but disordered by sin. That's why it's hard. That's why we can nod and say, I know the Bible says that, but it's not my reality. Romans 8 verse 20 paints this picture that helps us to grasp with this. It says this in a variety of contexts, but it, it helps on this, and we'll come towards an end with this. Creation, as a result of sin, was subjected to frustration that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning. Can you say groaning? As in the pains of childbirth. Right up until the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly Wait for our adoption to the sonship and the redemption of your bodies. So the Christian story is this. There's a brokenness in the world. But even as we sung earlier, when Jesus comes again with a trumpet sound, and I'll stand face to face faultless. 
and there will be a time when everything is made new. Everything will be made as it should have been. Every relationship will be in harmony. Every body will work as it should be. Every injustice will be ended. Every tear will be ended. It's coming. And for Christians, that is a vibrant and necessary hope to be meditated on and to be enjoyed. And we are commanded to pray, let your kingdom come. And we are working to see more of that kingdom come. But until the day it does, we are going to be groaning. Like a mother giving birth, groaning. <laughs> it's a child coming. Hallelujah. It's the most joyful thing. But it's hard. I'm working the ground, but it's, it's hard. I can see what's going to happen. I can see what's going to grow, but it's, but it's hard. We're praying before church today. And someone, Thomas said this, we're not a grumbling people, but we are a groaning people. We're not a grumbling people. We're not a groaning people. We are not surprised that it is hard. I hear often amongst the younger generation, my job is so hard, I think I need to find another job. And I res it's not just younger generation, but I think it's, because what's happened is post-depression and all of that, and in many parts of the world, a job is a job and it's a lifeline. And there's a great gratitude for work. And then as you develop, it becomes a means out of difficulty or poverty or something and the blessing of many. When you grow up in a society for many years that's been quite easy on the whole, you think it should all be easy. And you have too high a view of work than maybe in the past we've had too low a view of work. Work is existence. And for some, that can be a high view. Don't misunderstand me. Or work is this place I should be happy and fulfilled and wonderful and walk in on a Friday excited and just think it's the best place in the world. We are living in a broken world. You are broken. Do not be surprised that life sucks at times. We need to get this as Christians. It's not that we don't believe for God to break in. I mean, this is a death blow to the prosperity gospel, which says everything should be wonderful. Now listen, pursue it. God will prosper you in many, many ways, and we should pursue that. But it, you're always going to be groaning until the redemption of our bodies and Jesus comes. Hallelujah. Not the groaning bit, <laughs> that Jesus is coming. And we want either or, don't we? But in God, it is both and. And I, I'm going on. I can see that in the clock. But this is a really important point. Just because it's hard doesn't mean what we've said is not true. And in fact, the fact that it's hard means as Christians in this broken world, we get to model and have an attitude and have a perspective and hear from God to bring about solutions and to cultivate this world so that it is less and less true that it's broken, although it will always increase. There will be more light and there'll be more darkness. That's how the world's going to go. But we said, let your kingdom come. That's why we pray for healing for my boy and his ears. Not because we think there's never going to be sickness, but we know God can break in. And we know God loves to heal. We know that is the fullness of the kingdom. And we say, let it come here and now more and more today. That's why some of you are creating businesses and you're generating wealth and you're doing it in a way that's full of justice and mercy. And you're turning down the most lucrative business deals so that the most number of people can benefit from what God has given you. That is the church. I want it to be said about Christians, but particularly Redeemer. They do their work differently. Has God given you an idea and you're thinking, I'm going to make lots of money? Please do make lots of money, but for Jesus and the good of others. Nothing wrong with lots of money, okay? Poverty is not spiritual either and all of that. And being wealthy is not bad either. It's the heart and how you 
view it. I need to come to an end. <laughs> so what has struck you today? I wonder if the worship team could come up, please. What has struck you today? What do you think? <laughs> I need a new attitude. I'm not saying don't leave your job. There's a myriad of things I'm not saying that you've probably heard. I'm not saying don't leave your job. I'm not saying some things are toxic. I'm not saying none of that. I am saying ask Jesus and find out what the Bible says and don't be surprised if it's hard. Shouldn't, shouldn't shock us. But hey, more people who create environments where it's less so because it's kingdom filled. Wonderful. Are you working at everything you do with all your hearts or just the spiritual things? God creates, God cares, and God commissions us. And so as we come, we're going we're gonna to sing. We're going to have communion today. I'm aware time is going. There's a station here, communion station here. There's some um, sealable little communion pots on that table. And there's a communion station at the back, I believe. Is there one at the back? Um, and so we, I'd like us to move quite quickly when the time comes. And there's three ways I think we can respond to this. Some of us may need to repent because we have grumbled. And we've not had a godly attitude to our work. Welcome to the club. Um, not in this job, of course. It's not true. Our hearts do all, our hearts do all sorts of things. Um, others of us, you just you need to receive number one God's encouragement. Some of you are doing brilliantly. Well done. And it's okay to hear the Father say, "Well done, my son, my daughter. You're creating something, and you're being faithful, and you're being light." Others of us just need to receive fresh grace because we feel we're failure. Doesn't, failure doesn't mean you've got it wrong. The world's broken. But sometimes it does. And sometimes we've done things along the way. Receive grace from God just to say, let's go again. That's what God does. He works all things together for good for those who love him, even our failures. We repent of them. Jesus says, right, let me work my, my redemption. And then thirdly, for all of us, we need to remember there's a time coming when everything broken will be made whole. If you're not living with that, meditating on that, enjoying that, you are missing fuel and comfort and hope in your life. We live in days when we need hope. The world is increasingly, for us here, being visibly a mess. We need the hope. To, there's a day coming. So one day, and in a few moments, we're going to stand the band, maybe we'll play, sing a song for us. Please feel free to join in, but let's get our communion and just individually or with someone you came, just say, Jesus, I'm all yours and you are my Lord. I'm sorry where I've not asked you or thought or worked out your ways. Forgive me and please help me to see the kingdom come and to cultivate and subdue and fill the earth as you would have me do. Help me see what I do. Fostering my own heart starts there, what I do with my body, what I do with my, how it can honor you. And Lord, I thank you, you're coming again. And as we sang, faultless, we'll stand before the throne of the blood of the Lamb. If you're not a Christian, this is something for Christians to do as we honor Jesus. But you could today. You could, if you're at that point saying, Jesus, I need, I need the Lord. I need you. I know you're real. I know I've just 
messed up, lived for myself like Adam and Eve done. I've said, no, God, my way, I'm, I need you. Please forgive me. If you, could, if, you, if, you, if you want to do that for the first time today, you can partake with us. Come and pray with myself or someone else you, someone else you know. And we'd love to pray with you at the end as well. So we're going to spend the next little while. So let's stand together. Let's...